Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey bosses, this is Johnny, and welcome to episode 225 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here in Kiev, Ukraine with Peter Santanello. Welcome. Thank you. So you're the second person I've stalked off of YouTube to get you on the podcast. And the first was Kevin from Monkey Abroad, which ironically was the episode that you listened to. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. And I realized that it's like the perfect way of meeting cool people in non-very touristy places. Sure. Like in Chiang Mai, there's so many digital nomads, so many mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, so many travelers, but we are in Ukraine. Yeah. Where people still, I mean, I'm sure people ask you all the time, like, why are you here? Yeah, I need to make that video. For yeah, sure. 100%. Because I get asked all the time. And it could be like a, probably a two-hour video and people would still like wonder and, and ask. Yeah. I mean, it's... Um, I like it. I mean, it checks most of the boxes for me. And uh, do you want me, to, you want me to tell you why I like it? Yeah, you know what? Let, let's start it off that way. I, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more we're going to get into, but let's, let's start off with why are you in Ukraine, Peter? Okay, so I'm in the world a lot. So I'm making travel videos now. And if you look at a map, it's that geography that's made Ukraine a difficult place in the world. This is the same geography that gives you the world, mm -hmm. which means it's even in the name, it's called borderland. Mm -hmm. And so it's in the middle of a lot of things. For example, Istanbul is an hour and 45 minutes. Berlin's, I think, an hour and a half. Helsinki, two hours. Tehran, four hours. All of Europe's close. I have no idea where Tehran is, by the way. Iran. Oh, Iran. Yeah, okay. yeah. Not many digital nomads are going there, but I did a, a video series there this winter. I was shocked when I when I was looking at your other videos and I saw that you were in Iran. Yeah, it was amazing. That's crazy. So, I want to get into all that, but let's sure. let's first rewind. You're from the same city as I am. We're both from San Francisco. Yeah. Like, what was it like? Growing up there, and when did you start traveling? So I didn't grow up there. I actually grew up in the East Coast. All my family's from New York City. We moved to Vermont. Uh, my parents moved to Vermont. But from 18 on, I lived out west. Yeah, I was going to say, you seem like an East Coaster. Maybe. I don't know if that's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, or my, I'm being a little brash or something. Um, but yeah, I grew up on the East Coast. I, like, I'm glad I grew up there, but I'm glad I don't live there any longer. Just personal preferences. I, if I'm going to live in the States, I'll definitely be in California or Okay. Somewhere out west. And how long did you live in California? Okay, I lived in Tahoe for eight years. Mm -hmm. I lived in San Francisco for three years. I lived in right over the border in Reno for like seven years. Okay. Wow. Lived in Colorado for three years. And why were you moving around so much? Um, Colorado at first was, was university. Then I dropped out because Squaw Valley was the only thing I could think of which is, for those that don't know, Lake Tahoe, snowboarding. I was young. I had too much energy to sit in a class. And so I pursued that for five years. Then I wanted to see the world. So I saved up money for two years. This is a long time ago. So, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm definitely older than most of your audience, I think. So You're what, 41? 41, okay. yeah. But we never traveled growing up, and I always wanted to see Europe. So I saved up for two years. I had a goal. This was back in 2001. I'm like... I got to have 20 grand saved mm -hmm. in two years and go to Europe for seven months, do a year in Verbier, Switzerland, snowboarding, and then come back, get my Ducati in Italy, rip it through the Alps, nice. ship it back and get on with my nice. life, have it all figured That'd out, be right? Good life. Yeah. And after those, you know, that time in Switzerland and being in Europe, I'm like, screw this. I can keep going. I can always figure out a motorcycle down the road. What were you doing for a job back, back in the U.S.? 
Okay, I worked, I was I was snowboard guy, so I was snowboarding every day on the mountain, and then I worked at this fine dining restaurant. Ah. So I was, a, I was a waiter. I'd go in for six hours, I'd get off the mountain, change in my car immediately, and go right into work. You know what, that's not that bad of a life. Oh, it was great, because I was doing what I loved. And I think that's actually a good kind of step one to travel and independence, is you don't have to jump straight away to the Swiss Alps. If you're in the U.S. right now and you hate your job, you hate where you're living, but right. you want to snowboard, do that step. Just move to Colorado. Even if you have to work as a as a server at night, if you can s- snowboard all day, go for it. Well, I was doing what I loved eight hours a day, and then for five hours or six hours, I just, you know, I was 20, 21. 20 till 24 or 25 doing that. Okay. But I was loving my life. I couldn't think of doing anything else. As far as snowboarding every day, that's all I wanted yeah. to do. I did the same thing with scuba diving. I, I yeah, mean, you know, for four years I was taking people out scuba diving as a guide, and I wasn't making a lot of money, but I got to do what I loved to do every day. Yeah. So as long as you can, like, if I was just waiting tables and not doing that, I would ha- I would have hated my life. But I was doing. It was the best thing I could figure out at the time. And this is again, turn of the you know last century almost, mm-hmm. right? And the digital options, the internet options weren't really there like they are now. Yeah, now you can just sit at home and watch snowboard videos. You don't actually have to go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's the same, play, playing it in VR, right? <laughs> well, I'm just saying as far as making money, like you couldn't do some yeah, drop shipping business or what you're doing right now or, you know. Yeah, and I, I, I'm definitely, I feel so fortunate that we were born in this era yeah. and not any other era in the last million years. Yeah. Because it never would have been possible. Yeah. Yeah. True. I started, I grew up before it and now I'm like moved into it. Yeah. If anything, I think it's nice because we, we've gotten to taste of both. Yeah. I didn't have my first computer until I was a teenager. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine growing up with a smartphone when you're three as all these kids do. Like literally with their parents, they're old smartphones and they'll, and I'll see like a four year old playing Candy Crush. Yeah. And the mom will be like, oh, don't worry. It's my old iPhone. I'm like, it's not that old and still... It's like an iPhone 7 or something. Yeah, I'm like, it's still worth 500 bucks. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when I first traveled around the world, I didn't have a phone. Internet was shitty in most of the places I was in. It was really... We had books, you know? You'd go with a book. It was your guide. Yeah. Like, I wonder how many people still buy Lonely Planets nowadays. I stopped. But it was great back in the day. Yeah. Like, it was useful. And then I always found, like... Some of the cool, coolest experiences were go with the places that weren't in Lonely Planet because mm-hmm. you knew you'd be getting off the path a bit if you did. So now we literally have to get off off the path. Yeah. Yeah. We're, even the internet doesn't have that much information about some of the places that we're at now. Yeah, that's what's cool. Like this part of the world, there's a lot open in that respect. I think it takes a certain type of person. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not your, um, it's not all fuzzy and warm and, and like glossy on the surface, let's say. You were in Kharkiv, right? Yeah. You... And it's funny because when I was in Kharkiv, before I went, I, I Googled all the information about, about Kharkiv. Yeah. And it took me an hour to read everything because there was maybe four blog posts in English. Yeah. Maybe like four videos. Sure. And that was it. Yeah. And I remember when I finally saw yours, I think I was already there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is cool. But then, and that's why we reached out to you because you had like the one normal video that wasn't made by some weird dude okay. about Harkave. And I was like, oh, like this, he seems like a pretty cool guy. 
But and the other blog post that everybody had recommended was from like 2011 or something. Really? Like, and there's just, nobody had been updating it since. And I was like, right. all right, let's check out the city. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And and you're basically you're doing the world a favor, I think, by showing places that people are curious about, mm-hmm. but they don't want to be the first one to travel there. Okay. And I don't think I don't blame them for not wanting to be the first one. Not, I mean, I don't want to say the first one, but like, sure, you know, like the first pack of people to go right to you know Ukraine or even South America, parts of Africa or the Middle East or all these places you've been. I think we're inherently interested and curious to see what what it's like. Uh huh. But aside from like the BBC headlines, we don't know anything about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's I find these places to be far more interesting because there's a lot of discovery, and then usually your the perceived reality and the actual reality is different. And so um, I like the path less traveled, I guess. So I'm going to like Kazakhstan next week and Kyrgyzstan, and people travel there now. Like it's not totally off the map anymore. But they're really unique places. No, they're definitely. And people would always talk about the Trans-Siberian, and I was like, you're missing the best part, the stands. The Mm -hmm. stands are, I was in, I don't want to sound like some old dude, but Tajikistan 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. right after the U.S. went into Afghanistan. And so the the fall of the Taliban, which meant poppy cultivation, went through the roof, which meant there's this one road like carrying all the heroin out of the country. And I found myself on that road, and it was just—it was a little sketchy. But the most amazing stories and the most amazing adventures came from that; those experiences. I guess a lot of people might be having the question, like, where do you find the balance between going somewhere that is, you know, like for example, like you people, people a lot of people are afraid to go to Ukraine. Sure. But there's not really any real danger of being in Kiev and Kharkiv or Odessa. No. Like it's to me, it's and probably statistically, it's as safe. You know, for us to be here, than it would be to be in New York or, or LA. I think safer. Yeah, like, especially with like uh, common street crime and getting robbed. Well, I think the overreaching problem is, okay, if anyone sees anything about Ukraine in the West, it's Chernobyl, yeah. it's corruption, it's war with Russia, it's mail order brides. Mm-hmm. I think that term still exists, right? It's that's pretty much it. And it's danger, right? So there are no, there's no other information coming over. So that's the information that sits even in people's subconscious, I think, when they hear the word Ukraine. Mm-hmm. It's just a negative, evokes a negative emotion. Where a place like Italy, everyone knows pizza and the good things about Italy. And even if it has all sorts of problems, you know the good parts too. Mm-hmm. But there are, there are a lot of countries in the world like Iran. That's why I went there. That's a cool, it's one of the coolest countries. I mean, it's all over the news now. Um, but the, the people, the culture, your experience as a traveler there, it's top notch. Mm-hmm. But it's going to scare most people off because of the news, obviously. But how do you know when there's a legitimate reason not to, to, to go there? For example, there's you know some countries in the world yeah. currently where you have a very big chance of being kidnapped or mm-hmm. being killed. Well, you have to do your research, right? And okay, for example, I lived in Thailand a long time ago and there were, there were problems in the south. Mm-hmm. Um, Patani, Naratuit, and Yala, these three provinces. And there was Muslim separatists mm-hmm. blowing things up. And so that was all over the news and everyone from the States, my mom, friends, get out of Thailand, it's dangerous, shit's blowing up. And I'm living, I was living in Bangkok capital is fine and so a lot of the world is like that Mm -hmm. 
where Ukraine, there's a, technically a conflict in the Far East. Less people die here than in Chicago every year, mm-hmm. by the way. That, the whole war, less people are dying mm-hmm. than, sh- than Chicago, which is insane mm-hmm. alone, right? Um, but no, I wouldn't hang out on the front line there. But the country's big. I think it's other than Russia. I think it's the, f- if you consider all of Russia, Europe, which it's not. But let's just say um, in Europe, I think it's the biggest or second biggest after yeah. France. It's big. I remember someone actually commented on my HeartQ video saying, but what about the war? How, how close are you to it? Yeah. And I had to Google like the distance. And I was like, you know, we're, we're like 300 kilometers away. It's like a seven hour plus drive to get from where the war is actually happening to right. where we are in Kiev or Kharkiv. I'm not worried. And the, world, the word war, there should be different derivatives of it because there's World War II. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of wars that have happened throughout history. And so... This does not discredit the geopolitical situation, anyone that's died, any of the psychological trauma that comes with it. But literally, there are less people, again, dying here than Chicago in this war. Mm -hmm. So people get scared by the world war. I mean, the word war, obviously, for for good reasons. Mm -hmm. But you really have to look into it more for what, what that really means. Yeah. So, for example, in, in Kiev, where we are, and they, they say Kiev here. That's why I've, I've been trained to say Kiev instead of Kiev. Kiev's sort of like, it, get it, that it's the Russian transliteration of the city, and Ukrainian transliteration is Kiev. Oh, so, yeah. because of the conflict, there's sort of um, a push for Ukrainian language. Mm-hmm. And so, the world knows it as Kiev. Just like the world knows Bangkok as Bangkok, but it's cronked up, right? Yeah, but no one's going to say Krongtep. Nobody's going to say Krongtep. <laughs> but the capital here, I was just talking to um, a foreigner I met. You just talked to him downstairs. Uh-huh. He's like, I lived in Medellin. I didn't have my earphones in at night. I felt like it was a mm-hmm. little sketchy. He's like, here I feel super safe. Mm-hmm. It is a safe city. I mean, things happen everywhere, but it's like petty crime and stuff on the streets. I haven't seen it. I haven't felt it. Well, the funny thing is, every time I've come to Ukraine, the first couple of days, I felt like I was unsafe because yeah. I felt like I should be unsafe. Right. I'm walking at night alone through this dark courtyard with no lights, yeah. through this building with no lights, no lock on the door. And I'm thinking, if someone's going to rob me, this would be a good, good place to rob me. Yeah. And then after a week, nothing happens. After two weeks, nothing happens. After a couple months, nothing happens. And I'm like... And I remember the only time I legitimately got a fright when I was walking at night through uh, a crossing in, in Kharkiv, and I had to go underground to cross the street right. because it was a busy street. And normally that's a terrible idea to walk through a closed metro station yeah. at night because it's super easy to get robbed and there's nothing you can do about it. Nobody can hear you. Nobody can, you know, nobody can save you. Mm-hmm. There'd be no witnesses. And I remember being so nervous walking down there. And for anyone who's seen me, I'm a pretty big guy. Right. And I'm like, just like clutching my phone, looking around. And all of a sudden, I see someone come around the corner. And I like freak out for a second. Until I realize it's like a 110-pound girl <laughs> walking by herself. Right. With her headphones in, without a care in the world. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? If she can walk here safely without worrying, I'm probably okay. Yeah. Well, I think... First impressions are misleading here because, yeah, if you were in the alleyway or under the metro or one of these places that don't look so nice in Latin America, yeah, they are dangerous for the most part. Or even the U.S. It would be like a dangerous place and a bad part of the city. But 
let's face it, the Soviets didn't use the best building materials, so a lot of shit's sort of fallen apart. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's dangerous, though. Yeah, but also a lot of I've heard one of the reasons why courtyards and common areas look so bad is because people are so used to those places getting taken care of by someone else. Yeah, that nobody wants to spend their own money taking care of the common area of an apartment building. Yeah, they will make the inside of their specific mm-hmm. unit really nice, but they don't care what the stairwell looks like. Exactly, it's interesting. I don't know what my theory is in Soviet times. You know, it was very communal, and then when the the wall fell and it became much more individualistic, people were like, "Screw that! I'm not told to do." I, this is my theory. I don't know if it's true at all, but these communal spaces are now like, uh, "Screw it! It's not my responsibility." I, I I would vouch for that as well. And so, actually, I'm doing a video. I'll do a video on keep. Like, I only do mostly positive, cool stuff, but I'm going to do five things I dislike in Ukraine, probably down the line in the summer. And there's this rubber glove that's on my, been on my stairwell <laughs> for like three weeks. You know, you should write a <laughs> and I took a video. Yeah. I took a video. And so you'll see that. You'll see a decrepit car on the street for two years that hasn't been moved. So there is this, most of the aspects I see of this place are positive and most of it I enjoy. But that's one of the, the oddities, I'd say. I think a funny thing, though, is when you, when we speak to most Ukrainians, they see all the negatives and they don't see the positives. Yeah. And I think that's why people get so excited when like foreign eyes come in and we're excited about their life or their right. culture or their food, you know, or they're just, just being here in general. Well, they, they have something we don't have. No place, person, anything has it all, right? So they have this connectivity, I feel. You go into one of these parks and everyone's sort of just chilling. And there aren't many sketchy people around, you know? I don't see many, you know, bums peeing on whatever. And so there's this cohesiveness, I feel, here. You go down to the center of Kiev on a weekend, it's just bumping with energy. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on. People still go to the airport with flowers and wait for friends and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, that's awesome. It's cool details, right? Like the, our culture, Western culture, lost this a while ago, I think. Yeah, or even just like flowers in general. Like I, every single time someone has a birthday, yeah. I feel like they have like a t- like a dozen balloons and, and like three dozen roses. Yeah, and I think part of it is the cost, where it's not very expensive to do that here. In the U.S., it's outrageous. Like I'm not going to spend a hundred dollars on balloons and three hundred dollars on flowers. Yeah, but it depends. For it depends what you, like the average salary here is very low. If you're working the average salary, then those flowers are expensive. Okay, that makes sense. But for, yeah, if you're coming from the outside or if you have a good job here, they're cheap. Yeah, but even then, I think, I don't know. I, I guess I'd have to do the math, but I asked around. I was like, how much are those, like, how much are those balloons? And people would say something like, oh, like, maximum 150 grivna, which is, like, $6. Yeah. And, yeah, I guess it's something that if you're only making 150 or $200 a month, that's a big part of your salary. Yeah. But I feel like it's still at a point where even if you had, like, a basic job, and your, you know, your friend, your girlfriend, or your daughter, or someone was turning twenty-one, and you wanted to, you know, give them, you know, give them a treat. It's, mm-hmm. it's possible. Still. Yeah, it's very festive here. Yeah, with that stuff. I like that. That's part of the culture. Right? Yeah, and, yeah. In the U.S., it's like, if you don't get a new car, you're unhappy. Yeah. Well, I think back to what we were saying. First impressions are rough here. You come off the airport in Key at, at the airport in Kiev. There's some guy out of a bad Hollywood movie that looks like that Slavic, you know, thug. 
and he says taxi in a smoker's voice and dressed black head to toe and there's no easy smiles like nobody's just going to smile at you for for any reason so in the beginning i think it's perceived as rude or like off-putting or whatever but it's a filter and once you get beyond that the people are very warm the connections are very real and i sort of like it there's there's no like um there's very little bullshit yeah it's just like straight up and it might be looked at and there are some there's some very rude people for sure but well, at least they'll let you know they're rude they will you tell know, you, you know straight you, up you know where you stand <laughs> yeah. immediately with everything i like how nobody will ask how are you doing unless they actually care how you're doing yeah yeah versus in the u.s it's just such a common part of our language that we don't even f- wait until someone answers for us to move on yeah that's the biggest question i get by english learners they're like well, so what is this how are you doing it doesn't mean how you're actually doing i'm like no it's just more of a greeting actually yeah i mean i guess i to me like i try to explain to them like you know like when you say like um I can't even pronounce it like like Jasmine. Yeah. Like hello, hello. You don't actually mean the literal translation of like to your like you know all like I hope your life is well or like right. life is well or something. You just mean like hey, right. And but well, on kind of what you were saying earlier, if someone doesn't like you, they'll let you know. And nobody will play games. Like in the U.S., is really common for people to say, oh, so great to meet you. Yeah, yeah. Let's hang out soon. Let's keep in touch. Right. They might even ask for your phone number or your Facebook just to like, you know, be friendly. And then maybe you'll never hear from them again. Or you'll text back and forth for weeks and nothing ever will happen. Yeah, none of that here. You know, and here it's like, they'll they'll be like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Neat. (laughs) Like, oh, would you like to go out? I'm not (laughs) neat. Like, okay, well, thanks for, you know, at least I know. Yeah. (laughs) You don't waste any time with that stuff. Yeah. And if they do want to go out, they'll say, okay, tomorrow. And you're like, "Um, yeah, okay. And it's on. And it's on. And they'll be there. Yeah. I I love it. Me too, man. I mean, no, there's, there's no, nothing, no perfect place again. And the winters are a little brutal here. But the cool thing again is the geography and there's a two hour flight to a warmer destination. I saw that you were here in the middle of winter. Yeah. That must have been rough. Yeah, but it's good for getting work done, to be honest. Like, you just sort of hunker, hunker down. So, I've never been anywhere where it snowed. Yeah. <laughs> so, I never lived even in Colorado. But, like, here, for example, you know, you wake up, it's it's minus, you know, five outside. Yeah. It's like 30 degree or 10, 20 degree Fahrenheit. Right. It's snowing, it's dreary, it's cold. What, like, do you leave the house? Like, what do you do? Yeah, I have one of these coats with, like, the raccoon fur around my hood. Mm-hmm. And just go for a walk. Yeah, it's not, like, I grew up in Vermont, right? That's a worse climate, believe it or not. Much colder well, than why? here. Why? It's just colder. Like, degree-wise or feeling-wise? Just degree-wise. Because okay. the only place I've ever been that I've been uncomfortably, unhealthily cold was in uh, Nepal. Yeah. I was attempting the Annapurna circuit, and... It was going to get down to minus 20 Celsius, like plus, mm-hmm. plus 30 Fahrenheit. I didn't even get that far. I like my body just gave up after six days of climbing up into yeah. altitude. And I think I don't even know what the temperature was at the time, but it was still in the plus. Yeah. But my body was so not used to it coming from Thailand. I probably didn't have the right clothes. But to make it worse, I think the, the, the real cause of it was I couldn't warm up at night mm-hmm. because nothing was heated. Nothing was insulated. 
Okay, that's a big difference. Here, actually, I'm warmer. Check this out. Because in San Francisco, the qual- so much of the construction is poor quality. You're not going to die if you don't have heat, right? You're just not going to die. Here, you'll die. Mm-hmm. So everything's... Like, my apartment's warm. I get in there, and it's warm. I remember my apartment in San Francisco. You know, it would get down to 50 or something, and it's that that wet, bone-chilling cold. And you have these little space heaters that don't do much. And I was much colder there, believe it or not, than here. I believe it, because my parents' house has no heating. <laughs> and the electric, the electric is so old that if you try to plug in a space heater, it'll yeah. pop the switch. And then you have to go outside into the garage in the yeah. freezing cold to flip it back on. And I remember hating it so much. Like, you know, and, and you're right. Like, we wouldn't die necessarily. Mm-hmm. You just have to wear two jackets and be under a blanket the whole winter. Yeah. And it was so uncomfortable. Yeah. While here, I arrived mid-April when it was still like one degrees at night, which uh-huh. is really cold. It's almost almost zero almost freezing but indoors i was always fine yeah. even in a, the cheapest airbnb i could find yeah are you would you spend another winter here oh yeah i'm living here now like i've i've moved what are you doing about visas i know a guy okay <laughs> <laughs> so that's a famous line in this part of the world i yeah. know a guy and so you gotta just know a guy okay I can okay it sounds all mafioso but no i have a um i have a residency permit that okay. i get this uh, this lawyer gets for me. It's funny because I've met so many expats who have just been living here and just overstaying their visas and nobody ever cared. But I yeah. think very recently, as of this year, yeah. they're starting to crack down. Yeah, so I had a friend here. He was uh, overstaying his visa every time he left. He'd just pay a fine at the airport. But I think they are right now, yeah. And honestly, it's kind of a shame because I wanted to stay longer. But my visa is going to run out in about a month i got good news i know a guy do you know yeah i might have to use this guy next year i think for this year i'm going to use this as an opportunity to go to georgia for six weeks cool i've heard great things about the amazing country, country. Uh, yeah you've been there as well yeah what like what do you think about georgia to, to live love in? it i love it so much that i made my first attempt at a travel tv show in 2012 mm-hmm. and i had any country to pick in the world and i picked georgia wow really yeah, because for what you get in the amount of space, you get amazing geography. The Caucasus Mountains are fantastic, beautiful. Black Sea, Black Sea's blue with dolphins. It's nice. There's wine country. There's beautiful rolling hills. A lot of history. Culture is amazing. People are cool. Amazing wine. Great food. Great food. Very warm, hospitable culture. Um, it's just going to be different. You know, it's going to be, unless you're from that part of the world, it's going to be different. I'm excited to check it out, and the the reason the number one reason why I really want want to hope to like it is they have the easiest visa policy in the yeah. world. One year visa on arrival, yeah, automatically renews every time you step out of the country. Well, when I was there, I first went in 2002. I landed in in the airport and on the runway, and all these Mercedes and Benzes came up. To the plane and all the mafiosa and the politicians which are the same thing got off went into these cars and sped away and no joke it was me in this airport i had to walk across the the runway and go into this airport it was a small plane and so when i got to the airport there's some big guy says uh twenty dollars i said twenty dollars what do you mean i no i got the visa i showed him my visa he's like no twenty dollars get in the airport 
And so he, it was that corrupt in 2002 that you had to pay a bribe just to get into the airport. Wow. Okay. So then this, pre- I, I don't want to bring you through all the, the, uh, the politics, but this leader came in, Saakashvili, like him or hate him, whatever. He killed the corruption, at least the petty corruption on the streets. So now when you go, I was there in 2012. Wow. It totally changed. I mean, in 2002, you honestly, there would be police roadblocks. And to get by, just to get through, you just have to pay a bribe to keep moving on what road you're on. I mean, it was so corrupt. Now it's, it's a nice, like, you fired all the cops. Now it's a good job to be a police officer. There's good pay. And so it's, it's very stable. And it's just like it ticks. Again, it ticks all the boxes. I could definitely live there, for sure. Right, well. And then you got cool neighbors. Armenia is a great country. There's Lake Savan there. That's like Lake Tahoe. There's Mountain Lake. It's beautiful. Azerbaijan is there. Russia over the Caucasus. Caucasus have, so they say, 150 spoken languages in them. Every valley, you know, they might, one valley over has a different word for cat. And they've, it's this crazy mountain culture up there. And they don't really see the countries, at least when I was there, they don't see Russia or Georgia. They, they're like, mountain people are mountain people. Mm-hmm. And so the Russian MiGs were bombing all these Chechenian separatists that were coming over and staying in Georgians' homes when I was there the first time. Not now. It's yeah. fine now. Okay. Um, but it was like a wild, different world up there. But these mountains are, are spectacular, beautiful. I've heard. Here's the thing is, part of me used to worry so much about the places that we love that are a little bit undiscovered becoming overrun with tourism. Yeah. You know, even Chiang Mai, I've seen it kind of firsthand where yeah. when I first arrived in 2012, 2013, there wasn't that many people, it wasn't that many tourists. And it was, I mean, there was, yeah, there were tourists, but it was nice. Now it's so popular, mm-hmm. not just with the digital nomad community, but the expat community, the Chinese tourists, the just tourists in general. Yeah. And, people are thinking, oh, it's going to get ruined. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think that's kind of the cycle where every good place, people want to tell their friends, you know, people will find out about it eventually, whether we tell people or not. Yep. And I am part of the blame or, you know, people like us are part of the blame sure. about spreading the word of cool new places. But at the same time, I feel like if we don't tell our circle, someone else has told their circle anyways. So if anything, you just, you would just miss out anyways and not know about it. Right. Yeah, I think you're. That's a good point. I feel like this place has enough filters on it that the average person isn't going to want to stay. Because just again, that winter will throw off most people. The winter, the language barrier. The language barrier is thick. There's things that you're gonna if you're seeking the full comfort life. You're not gonna come here. I mean, you can be super comfortable here. You can get a nice apartment, eat at nice, great restaurants. I like it because I remove all the moving parts. Like I have a, there's a food delivery service. I can afford everything. Like cleaner comes every week. You can take a $2 Uber anywhere. $2 Uber. It's very cost effective. And then you just remove all these parts and like all this noise too. Just this noise that happens. I think wherever you live, you're part of that environment. I haven't been in the U.S. since Trump has been in power. And uh, look, like him or hate him, that's none of my business. Fine, good for you. But it's just, I don't want to be around this constant buzz of noise all the time. It's distracting. I don't think it's healthy. Mm-hmm. And so here I'm not, I don't, I'm not connected to these politics and I'm not connected directly to U.S. politics at the moment. So it's like a space, it's freedom in that. That's why I stopped listening to Joe Rogan. Yeah. Because 
I was pulled into the controversies happening yeah. in the U.S. And I was getting so worked up about it. And I, yeah. and I, and I would have arguments with people on Twitter or on Facebook. Yeah. And then I realized, why am I even stressed about this? I'm not even living there. It's really, um, I think politics is in general a great place to dump your pain. And it's an easy place to make an enemy out of. I, I do it too. Like I'm pissed about what's going on with Iran right now. I feel like our administration is doing some dangerous stuff. So as one point I say, like, I'm avoiding it all. Now I'm talking about it. Isn't that funny? But it's way worse if I'm, if I'm at home. It's going to piss me off even more. This isn't to say I believe in anything what the, the Iranian government's about. But, man, we're doing some dangerous stuff right now. And if there's one country on the planet, you want to know the most pro-American country on planet Earth. What? No joke. Is Iran. <sighs> Go there. And they will love you. They will love you. They will be so cool. Look, they're, they're a culture that before 79 was, you know, in bikinis on the beach with nightclubs type, type place. And so the Islamic Revolution came in and, and buckled things down. But the people, look, the educated people, which there are a lot of, it's a well-educated country, are very, I don't know, there are some cultural connections. Even though the cultures are very different, the Iranians speak English really well. And I, I think Farsi to English is an easy gap because the accents aren't that harsh. Like you can understand really well. They're very interested in just the outside world. I think that because they've been sort of closed off. And so when you come in and show interest in their culture, and that means obviously don't come in and wave a flag and be some ass, but you, like you show honest interest and you care about their place, they're like so hospitable. And it's just in their culture to be hospitable. I got invited to so many places. They cook for you. They want to show you around. They're super interested about your story. It's one of those places you f really feel welcome. Okay, what's the narrative we see? Just terrorism. There hasn't been, this is the crazy thing too. I'm just going to go on a little tangent then okay, ask me whatever. Um, you know, you have all sorts of married couples that are separated now because of this travel ban. Because Iranians are supposedly these, these terrorists. But they, there, there hasn't been one Iranian terrorist attack on U.S. soil. Not one. It's an interesting dynamic. I know this isn't a political podcast, so I'll get off that topic. But No, but I think it's interesting for, I mean, I think, I mean, to be honest, like this, this entire uh, podcast so far has been a little bit off what we normally talk about, okay. of like online business and travel. But at the same time, I think there's a, a segment of my listeners who, you know, are tired of going to Bali, tired of going to Thailand, of just going to, you know, cool places where there's other digital nomads already. Sure. And, like great Instagram photos, people are curious about, you know, like saying, all right, well, we have this freedom now to be able to travel and, and work from anywhere. Yeah. Like, where else can we go? And the world is massive. People always say it's a small world, and I'm like, ah, I guess in a way, in one way it is, in one way it's massive. You could spend your life in Indonesia exploring. 16,000 islands, 8,000 are inhabited, and I think 98% of people go to Bali, right? And like, and, and like, there's so many islands there. Okay, I get it. That's like... It's a special place. And if you want to meet like-minded people, it's probably the best place to go. But there's so much in that country. It drives me crazy. Like, when I when I was in Bali, and I was there for two months. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, does anyone want to go to, go to Komodo with me? Wow. And they're all like, oh, yeah, it'd be great, but... I'm like, but what? And they're like... And there's always some reason or excuse. And usually it has to do with either time or money. Right. And then... But I'm like, you're here for 
two more months or another month and you're drinking every night just stop like don't drink for a week and we can go to we can go to Komodo it is the only place on earth that has Komodo dragons right it's the only place in the world where you can snorkel or scuba dive with dozens of manta rays it's a beautiful it's amazing it's just here it's not exp- even expensive to get to from Bali yeah I think out of my time there, out of meeting hundreds of people, I don't know if I met anyone who had even been. Yeah. Well, I think, okay, it's, I think everyone's different, right? You want your comfort to some degree. So the extreme example of that is, you know, I'm going to go to a country and just stay in the Western Chain Hotel and not leave it. So basically you didn't go anywhere, right? The very other extreme is like you're going to take a motorcycle into Siberia and just rip off and be away from everything. Okay, so I think there's that balance point, and it's different for everyone. For me, I like the combination of some good restaurants, some comfort, but then going into the unknown and the discovery, because that's where the lessons really come in. I don't want to do that full time. Like, I'm going to Kazakhstan next week, and I'll be in Almaty, which is somewhat cosmopolitan, but then I'm going to have some adventures and rip off. And I think there's always a little bit of a battle psychologically in that, where part of you is like, yeah... It would be, you know, it's easier to do the other thing where it's stay in your comfort zone, right? Like it's not really, I think, in our DNA to want to break free that much, I don't think. But it's really beneficial because it resets a lot of things. It resets things in your head. It resets your way of looking at you, you feel comfort a different way, right? When you get out of comfort and then you move back into comfort, wow, I appreciate everything. So way more. For example, way I did um, I did a documentary series in the countryside of Ukraine. I lived with this family who were refugees from war. Their apartment got blown out. This was near the front of the war with Russia. And they're in this little town. And they're living off no money. And I made a documentary series and I lived with them and it was very uncomfortable. I was from, I was sleeping on this mattress from like pre-Russian revolution. I mean, it was like a taco. My ass hit the floor, my feet and head went up in the sky. And it was 90 something degrees in the house and we're like they're like we're gonna dig a well okay machine's gonna come in we're gonna just dig a well out no that meant shovel like we're gonna dig a well and six weeks later we'll hit water i mean it was very provincial and it was uncomfortable as hell but damn i learned a lot i I was with the most loving family i've ever seen in my life they had nothing materially i learned so much through that and then when i came back to kiev it was like I was in Disneyland. It was like everything was, felt so luxurious and nice. I remember wanting to go into a Ukrainian countryside or to a village to see what it's like. Yeah. And then I actually watched your documentary. <laughs> and you're like, no. And I was like, you know what? I'm very com-. And it was funny because I was literally sitting in Kharkiv while I was watching it. And I was looking around thinking, you know what? This kind of looks like... I'm living close enough to this where I'm glad I can see it, but I yeah. don't actually want to go there. Yeah, I'm a bit of a masochist with that stuff. I mean, not I, – I did this one thing there where I, I sold corn on the beach. And now, just to set the context here, this is Donbass region. It's been known in Soviet times as like the region of where the criminals went and a lot of the mining. And it's it's a harder area. Oh, by the way, there's a war going on. So it's not – the rosiest types of places. And so I'm on the beach and I thought, what a great idea. I'll do a video selling corn. And so I get out there and I got the the family there and the kid is filming and I'm out there selling corn. 
and then I run into the corn mafia. There's an established corn mafia. And this dude came up and it's basically like, this is my turf. And then the mafia boss got on with the, the guy I was staying with. It was like, he's like, you got two hours to beat it. So I just started giving away corn. Anyways, it was a super uncomfortable experience. I'm out there yelling, selling corn in Russian. So I have an accent, so I'm standing out. Half the looks are these cold stone hardened, like I'm gonna, can I swear? Yeah. I'm gonna fuck you up, look. And half were sort of just inquisitive, what the hell is going on, look. And so- Kokula. Kukuruza. Kukuruza, kukuruza. Svežaya, slatkaya, vkusnaya. Kukuruza. And um, anyways, it was one of the whole reason for it is just to get out of the comfort zone. It was very uncomfortable. And made for an entertaining video, I think. But yeah, I like to do that stuff. It's not for most people, to be honest. If you want to be comfortable to stay in the States, I think that's the best option. Yeah, you know what? And the US, it really is the most comfortable place in the world, especially when it, when it comes to being able to buy anything you want or getting anything delivered yeah. easily and quickly. Yeah. And I think we are the best at consumerism. Yeah. Not that it's a good thing, but if you want to be comfortable, you want food delivered, you want everything delivered, the U.S. is, it's heaven. Yeah, and I think that we're definitely conditioned from day one that comfort is this, like, this top place. And once you get enough enough resources and you have enough comfort and enough things, then you've hit it in life. And I don't know. I just got, I got comfortable. I saw those things and I'm like, okay, then what? And then what? And then this is it? And then what? You just, it's like river that, a river that just pools off and gets still and hot. And there's not much in that, I found. Like, I want my comfort. Yes, I want. I want to travel. I want to eat the food I want to eat. I want to stay in the place I want to stay. Sure, I want all this stuff. But man, there's so much more to it. And my, I mean, everyone's different. That's just, that's my shtick on it. I think a lot of it is like the balance where the reason why we need vacation or we need to be kind of waited on hand and foot once in a while is yeah. because we go through so many weeks or months of just working our ass off and yeah. not having it. Yeah, for sure. And I can imagine if you're working for two years straight and then you finally can go to an all-inclusive resort or oh, yeah. cruise ship and you don't have to cook, clean, or do anything for two weeks, you'll love it. Makes total sense. I 100% get it. Yeah. But at the same time, if, you, if, you, if you're there for three, four weeks, you'll hate it and you'll get so bored yeah. that you're like, why am I here? Everything becomes normal eventually. I, I was a cameraman a long time ago and we were doing this show in Norway and we were eating these amazing fish, salmon dishes every night. And I, night seven of it, I was just sick of it. I think it was like at the time, like a long time ago, it was like a $50 meal or something. And... That's the craziness of, of the human condition is we get used to whatever, right? Yeah. And then you want the next and the next. And it's, so it's a crazy balance of trying to level that stuff out yeah. or keeping it in check to some degree. So my co-host of my other podcast, Invest Like a Boss, he sold his company for like 10 plus million dollars. And he balled out. You know, he started flying first class, started uh -huh. staying in five-star hotels. And he loved it. Yeah. And then when we started hanging out, we would, it was exactly two years ago, our first trip in Eastern Europe together. Nice. And I didn't know him that well at the time. I think I had like, you know, I, I met him a few times, we hung out and we just had this idea. And I was so confused because one night we would stay in like a mid-range hotel. Uh -huh. The next day we would stay in the cheapest piece of crap. 
The next day we would stay in a hostel. Right. And then we would stay in a five-star hotel. And I'm like, how are you picking these places? Like, yeah. it's, <laughs> like are you just throwing a dart and you're just like, whatever's, you know, like, like you just Google hotel and just pick the first one. Right. And he would do silly, weird things. Like he would fly, instead of flying from Chiang Mai to Hong Kong directly, which is like a 45-minute flight or like, I don't know, maybe one hour flight or something. Huh. He would take an eight-hour overnight bus from Chiang Mai to Bangkok, which is not comfortable for anyone. Sure. And then he would fly business class from there to Hong Kong. I like his style. And I could not figure out what the heck was wrong with this guy. I just thought he was insane. And he finally explained his method or to his madness. And it was basically, if you always have luxury and you always have comfort, you come to expect it. And if it's not exactly perfect you're disappointed you're exactly, upset exactly but if you reset that level of comfort mm-hmm. every other time you're always appreciative exactly you're hitting the reset on it and 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 also when you get in these more un, let's call them uncomfortable modes of travel or whatever it's usually you you connect with people more so when i fly i take the first class trains here which i like the sleeper trains they're good but i've also gone in plascard where it's like very communal and I met a ton of people last time. And it was very festive and fun. So that's usually how it goes. Yeah. And I think part of the, the trick is I want to be able to afford to be in the first class cabin. Yeah. And then choose to be in Platzkart when I feel like I want to be. Of course. The community will hang out. Yes. And I think that's kind of the, the key that we're hitting on where if someone's listening to this and they're making $200 a month and struggling to get by and they couldn't, you know, dare uh, dream about even upgrading to the first class train cabin right. or flying business class, you know, because they can just barely even afford the the cheapest ticket. I think it's it's a hard life, and 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 I can understand why they would be uncomfortable and complain when they're sure. in that bad situation. But I think if we can get to a point, and I think we're very fortunate being from the West, speaking mm-hmm. English, having the internet, and mm-hmm. being able to make enough money to be able to afford the nice things, yeah. then we have the option of saying, okay, I know I can have the comfort if I want, and if it really gets so bad, I could probably just pay some money and upgrade. Yeah. But then you know, enjoying the communal you know, open train where there's 80 people drinking vodka <laughs> hanging out. <laughs> yeah, and when you're in a different culture, it's always interesting. If I was at home doing that, I probably would oh, probably be over it pretty it, right? quickly. Yeah. yeah, can you imagine like a bunch of like drunk Taking Greyhound, yeah. I've done Greyhound. Oh God. Yeah, and like having everyone next to you like drinking and yelling, nah, and, I'd be over it yeah. quickly. Yeah, <laughs> we're, I, we're fortunate. I think we are. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of which, how are you earning money? Okay, I have a I have a business in the U.S. Um, it's out of Nevada and California, and we it's a detailing business, high end cars, planes, boats. I have a small team there. They do all the operations, the management of it, and I just operate from a computer wherever wow so and do you have partners in this business or is it your- no it's my it's my my gig but i have great i have great employees and they you know it's that's the hardest part is getting great people and then once you get great people is treating them really well and making it better than anything else so do you ever worry about like needing like let's say like for whatever reason someone decides to quit or yeah who's gonna play like what do you do from here do you have to fly back sure um a couple years ago i had to deal with a situation like that um which sort of sucked but i've been pretty fortunate 
I would say overall. Like I've had my main guy in charge for f- five years now. Yeah. And so I give, I have profit sharing set up. I that's, have bonuses. That's my, the salary is okay. by far better than anything else. And this is something I started a long time ago, just out of living in Lake Tahoe, figuring out how I'm going to make money in the summer because there's no way I wanted to do the, the office thing. It's just not in my DNA. And again, we're talking year 2000. So the digital online options weren't there like they are now. I would never start this business now. No way in hell. Because insurance costs, payroll insurance, um, I mean, payroll taxes, all of this stuff is added up to an astronomical level where if I didn't have this very strong, established clientele to start it from nothing, no way. It's just, it's a silly business in that respect. It doesn't scale enough either. Like I'm I'm making videos now. This is my passion. This is what I love doing. I see the scalability in this and that's what makes it way more interesting. I never want to do anything that doesn't scale well again. I could scale that back there if I want to make it my full-time thing and work my ass off for it, but it's not my passion. Am I passionate about creating a great business, great service, treating employees well? Having something that functions at a very good level, yeah, for sure. But apart from that, I'm not even a car person. I mean, I can appreciate a nice car. It's not like my interest at all. It's just what I found a long time ago that worked for me. And I had no clue it would ever last, but it's allowed me to see the world. I've been on the road for a long time. I was six months in the States, six months abroad, and now I've been full-time abroad. And best thing, and I've tried, I've done all sorts of different things. I do some real estate too. So I have a few properties I rent out for income um, and some other investing, but. And who's taking care of those properties while you're here? Um, one's in Columbia and I have a property management company doing it. One's in Nevada and I have my office manager doing it there. It's nice that you ha- you've built up multiple streams of income and you're able to somehow manage them while all the way in Ukraine or you know in Kazakhstan or you know yeah. in Iran while it's still bringing in income. I think that's the dream for a lot of people. Yeah, it's a it's um it's taken a long time to get it to this level, I would say. And it's a lot of it's a psychology whereas you have to be respected and I don't want to use the word feared, but you have to be not there has to be some boundaries. Because a few years ago, I did get too lenient, I will say, and that's when I had problems. Yeah, I can imagine that. Like, but if you're if you're too much of an ass, then why is any? It's not a dictatorship. No one's gonna no one's gonna stay. Why would they? Mm-hmm. So it's this fine balance of being really fair, really honest, but you have to be firm at times. And like, I have a conference call every Monday. I got out of habit with that, and when I did that. Problems. That's what drop off. Yeah. So not having the FaceTime is a problem, but doing some regular things really help with that. And I think smart, capable people would much rather have boss man not there every day, and like having more freedom for themselves as long as they do. And I, I also pay. This is a big. I wish I knew this a long time ago. I don't know how many people are in service businesses like this, but um, paying per job versus per hour mm. because if you're gone the clock can can get really slow, right? But if it's by job, there's incentivization for them to get it done quicker, actually. And I can just look at my spreadsheets and be like, okay, X amount of vehicles, 
okay, here's all the payments. And I, I even know what I'm going to make looking at the schedule right now for the next month, probably, because I can break it down that way. That was, that's been huge when I changed that. Super good tip. Yeah. And, and especially because I, I know 100%, like when there's no boss watching, it's easy and you're getting an hourly wage. It's easy to take eight coffee breaks a day, a two, three hour yeah. lunch and just not caring because you're getting paid the same amount anyways. So I do it. Okay. For example, we have this service, you know, say like this, your average detail, right? I'm going to give, it's not average. We do have a very high end service. So it's seven hours of labor my employees get. And if, you know, it's split up amongst them for one job. If they get it done in say accumulation of five hours or four hours, I don't care. I, I have the pricing structure set up, so I, I'm profitable at seven hours. But they, I make it in favor of them unless they're really being slow uh-huh. or it's a really shitty job. They're definitely going to get it done in under those hours, so they're more times than not winning. And then I have, you know, lunch included and all these little details, you know, like two hours of drive time every day. And they might have only drive 20 minutes, but they got paid two hours. And maybe there's an occasion they drive two and a half hours. But this, so they're the majority of the time winning. It's better than anything else. And how do you keep up quality control? Uh, I have a great office manager. She rocks. Here's another tip. If you're in this type of business, stay at home mom. Because, it, well, she needs to be on the phone and the email all the time, right? And some people either love that or hate that. I hate that. Like, I don't want to do that. But some people love it. They love the communication. They want to be on it all the time. She's one of those people, and all of a sudden she can do it from her home and raise her her kids, you know, and it brings my cost down. It's a huge benefit for her, Um, but she's very good at what she does, and look, a lot of this, it sounds easier than done. I've interviewed a lot of people and gone through a lot of problems, and maybe tomorrow I have a massive lawsuit. I don't know. That's just the way it goes when you're running a business. You never know for sure, as you know. Yeah, it's hard, but at the same time, I think... Sometimes we worry more than we need to, and, and people just never get started because they think, well, what if this happens down the road? That's the biggest mistake, and it and I'm a, I've been like that too in the last few years. I realized I was worrying about potential outcomes that might not happen, and most likely don't, and the fact that you're actually worrying about that is a bit of insanity because you're creating these narratives that aren't even true. So you do everything you can, you set up the systems, you don't go in blind, you set all the systems and protocols and everything up, and then you just gotta let the thing run. And maybe nothing happens and maybe it does, but shit, there's no security in anything. Let's just be real. You can get hit by a bus today, you can lose, you know, company can be bought and they don't want you anymore, who knows what. So you do what you can and then you let off the worry for sure. That's a good point, you know, like be, be, kind of prepared but don't try to prepare for everything because it's not possible it's not and it's silly and it's a way it's a huge waste of mind space excellent so now what do you actually spend most of your days doing like you you have a full-time membership to this beautiful co-working space we're at lift 99 in kiev mm-hmm. like what are you doing here so i'm at a new stage in my life and um uh, two years ago, I did this documentary series in the countryside I was telling you about. That was just a crazy experiment, and the, the series did pretty well here. And then I, I've always wanted to show parts of the world that have been somewhat dehumanized or mislabeled or only negative information and show them in a very cool human 
light. For example, Iran. For example, Ukraine. Um, Kazakhstan. And so this is what I'm doing. I make videos now, and it's not normal travel videos of like go here and here's your cheapest place to stay. I'm not. It's not so how toy. It's more like I go in and try to get a real feel of the place and get locals in the video and create a story. And this is what I find passionate. This is what I find meaning in. This is my passion. And I've really, I haven't been prolific with it. And now I've turned a corner and I'm going full, full speed at it right now. So my days are editing right now. I'm not an editor. I'm like not an editor by profession. I've learned a lot in the last year, but my life is going in this direction where I want to create this content that inspires people to get out of their comfort zone, like shows them an opposite narrative to the one they're typically getting, not to romanticize things. I show some darkness too, for sure in my, in my videos, but I can't even explain the logic behind it. I just feel like I have to be creating now and I have to be doing it. And there's like, it's taken me a long time to get to this point, believe it or not. It's been a bit of a struggle. I've tried all sorts. I've done different startups. I've done many things. And this is finally where it feels the best. Yeah, I, I can tell you, your, the, the passion you have. Like when, when I watch your videos, even when I hear you talk about this, I can tell that you genuinely care and like you really want to put this stuff out there. Yeah. And I, I know how much time and work it takes to, to create and edit these videos. Yeah. And I know that, you know, up until, you know, maybe hopefully sometime in the future, but I, I can just look at stats now and be like, you're definitely not getting paid enough <laughs> through YouTube to be spending no. 30 hours editing this video. No, it's not about money at all. I mean, I have my other income streams. This is about, I think we all have some art in us, no matter what that is. Accounting can be an art, right? But if you don't let it out, I think you turn into that old angry man. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be that guy. Like, I don't want to look back and say, shit, I could have done some cool shit, but I, I sort of played the safe road. And so maybe I crash and burn. Could quite possibly happen, but I'll figure it out, right? You just got to have faith that things will work out. And I am not completely logical right now. I can't tell you exactly where I'm going to be in a year. I don't have the best business model set up. All I see is something I've just put not that much time in and is starting to work. And I feel meaning in it, so I'm doing it. I love it. And I love your tagline. Like, even just like your website, like a different look at the world or like, you know, it's the videos. I think that that's why I reached out to you. So I watched the videos and I could tell you were someone I'd want to sit down with for an hour cool. and have a chat. Cool. And I think, again, I have so many people who reach out to me asking to be on the podcast uh-huh. and I usually just ignore them right? because there's some, you know, douchey guy from the big Instagram following. Mm-hmm. But um, I look at them like, you know, they might be a nice guy, but I don't know anything about them. All right. I know is that they take a lot of cool photos in Bali. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of my stuff comes from, I think there's some rage in there in the sense that I was, grew up in a place where I was told the world's a dark shithole and it's terrible. And... I went out and saw it for two years. I went around the world in my younger 20s. I saw a different narrative. And then I realized, you know what? I want to show what I saw. And so I'm not the main tourist guy. I'm not going to do the episode in, in Bali probably. And there's Because there's plenty of people doing that. And there's plenty of people that could do a better job than me at that. I want to go into these places that people know less about. 
um, like this Iran series. That one meant a lot to me. And that was tough. I got in. Look, I went into my Italian passport because Americans can't just go there. You need to have a government-minded tour. And especially with the political climate right now, not a, I don't know, it's getting a little bit Sahari. Um, so I went in as an Italian, which means I had free reign to the country. How do you have an Italian passport? Through family. Okay. Yeah, I never lived there. Um, but I, thank God, because I, I use all the, the, let's call them the so-called dangerous countries. <laughs> I use my Italian passport. Um, so, I mean, the fourth day, my camera was stolen with all my footage because oh, I didn't have a good backup system. I was sort of scrapping it pretty hard in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was definitely a government official that grabbed it. It was on a motorcycle. Really? And they got, they were so professional. They are so damn good. And so then I had to start over. Actually, I actually had a friend from Kiev here fly down with another camera because wow. in Iran, international banking's cut off. You have to go in with the money you're going to spend. Wow. So I didn't have money, enough money for a new camera. He flew in. Actually, that day, I'm like, bro, what are you doing today? He's like, oh. he's like you love Iran, don't you? Because he'd been, here, been to Iran. He's like, yeah, I'd love to go back one day. I'm like, how about today? <laughs> he's like, what? By the way, can you pick up a camera for me? And so it cost me you know, an extra $400 because I'd have to get a new camera anyways to fly him down and then started over again and made, in my opinion, like really, I'm really proud of the work that, that went out there. And I've got, it's like, it's done some good in the world. I think at the end of the day, this might sound very, um, you know, altruistic and, and, and fluffy, but I think if you can inspire some people or lift some people some way, I think it's probably a very selfish thing. You just feel better about your life and your existence of consuming things and going through life if you're actually making things better for some people. At least that's what I think I'm doing by the responses I get from these well, videos. I, I've, I've looked at the comments on the YouTube channel and it's really like mind-blowing that even though they're English YouTube videos, most of the comments, or at least like the like the first page of comments that I always see uh -huh. or in the local language. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. Well, I do, I really try to localize these places. So a lot of, a lot of what I do takes a lot of time, like getting music. So I don't want to use just your normal vlog music. I get in, I try to get the local, on the local scene. So in Iran, I got, you know, real traditional music's going to throw off a Western audience. It's not going to be that great to listen to. Um, but like traditional mixed with like, a Western beat or whatever, um, is it works for both audiences really well. And so I worked super hard to get music from there. And even I got copyright strikes mm -hmm. on all my Iran stuff, which I'm, I'm not trying to make money off this right now. It's just, honestly, I'm just trying to figure out my craft and get better at it. And I, I do subtitles a lot too. So there were subtitles in those videos. And so a lot of times then the foreign audience can actually watch. And I think, I don't know how I'm going to move forward on that because it's super cumbersome and a pain in the ass to do subtitles. Yeah, like, like how, how the process? Cause I remember watching your Lviv video. Yeah. And I saw the comments that people were so happy that it was in, like it had Ukrainian subs. Yeah. Which never happens. Like I don't think, I don't know if there's any like English like videos on YouTube with Ukrainian subs. <laughs> Yeah, I it's a pain in the ass. And I just launched a video about Odessa, uh -huh. another city in Ukraine. As you know, you've been yeah. there. Um, put the subs in there. So I have a guy here. He does them. 
He's got to put them in the video on both Facebook and YouTube. It's a real pain in the ass. It takes a lot of time. Yeah, so I guess you, you have to pay some you pay some local guy yeah. and say watch this whole video right off the subs and yeah. then you just upload it to the channel like how does it actually work like how do they sync it okay for example voice? when I did Iran there was this guy there and this is Iran for you I don't want any money I, I love I love what you're doing I don't want any money and meanwhile their whole economy has been shattered yeah. because of these sanctions and so some people will step up like that well, I can't send him money anyways. I have no money to get way to get money to him. That's the problem. Um, so I would send him the videos. There's an app called Handbrake. Yeah. He would put them in and then send me the video back. Oh, wow. Okay. So they have to be hard-coded? Can, is, does YouTube not have a way where people can just upload? Yeah. So here's, here's a problem in the past. A lot of people don't know how subtitles function on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, there's no subtitles. Well, you got to press CC, right? Yeah. You can put notifications at the beginning of videos, press CC. That gets distracting, and even yeah. most people don't see that. So to hard burn them in makes it very obvious. But then if you're an English speaker, you're like, ah, annoying. shit, yeah. these Ukrainian subs. So this video I just did, okay. we added them in. If you press CC, you'll get the Ukrainian subtitles. Okay. If you don't, you won't. And you can't win for everyone on this one. Maybe a, uh, a good hack would be have hard-coded subs just in the first like 30 seconds. Saying um, if you want like Ukrainian subs, press good CC. idea, good idea. Yeah, I should do that. Yeah. And that way, you kind of please both people. Because I mean, to be honest, it, it is annoying. Yeah, like to to have like the Ukrainian subs cover the video if I can't read Ukrainian. Exactly. So most travel videos have English subs. Yeah. And but then you're only hitting. I don't know. I feel like. Look, I might stop doing the subs because, again, it's so, if I want to push more content, it's yeah. real pain in the ass. But it's it really does a service. Too, right? You have to finish the whole big edit, time. send it out, and say, like, wait, like, you know, I, like, I have to wait for you now. And you have to be confident they don't mess things up. Yeah. yeah like, yeah, what if, like, you can't read anyways. Like, what if they write in, by the way, I'm a big tool? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Or did, like, like well, the message. Didn't like, yeah. or did. Like, yeah. that's one that gets screwed up. Yeah. And the, the whole meaning is totally different. Yeah. So I don't know how I'm going to move forward on that, but I just feel like it adds, like, I want to go to a country and show, like, I love Ukraine, okay? Yeah. So I want to show Ukrainians, too. It's not like I'm just thinking about English speakers, yeah. right? So it's it's a little bit of a battle, but I think Google will have the, I think their translations are improving very quickly, and yeah. at not too much time, I think they'll be pretty damn close. Yeah, I don't have so. to do any of this stuff. I remember, so two years ago, or maybe last year, I don't remember, I wrote a super long blog post, probably like an eight-page blog post, about like just my thoughts on Ukrainian culture, their economy, dating, just like cool, just like mind dump. And I had a couple Ukrainian friends who also spoke English mm-hmm. saying like, oh, I, I really, you know, I really agree with this, and I think this would be helpful. Like, I wish people can read it mm-hmm. and I think I just put a call out just saying like if anyone wants to translate it like you know like let me know and there was a couple that was that I had met in Lviv that was like yeah like you know like like I think this would be great to, to translate right so I put it I put their version of the translation kind of like paragraph by paragraph after each one thinking it'd be like really nice for everyone to read it but then the problem is anyone who reads the blog post in Chrome gets it auto translated right so then it looks it, it just messes everything up. It just right. makes it look terrible and hard to read for both English-speaking people and probably Russian people. Yeah. People. Yeah. So it's hard. And now I'm thinking like, oh, maybe I should have just 
created, I don't know, like created a second blog post that was just in Russian or just delete it and like, I have no idea. And then yeah. here's another complexity. In yeah. Ukraine, you have two languages. You have two languages and it's a, it's a very controversial topic yeah. sometimes. Well, okay, so I guess my, my question is for the Odessa uh, video, is that is that going to have Ukrainian subs or Russian subs? I put Ukrainian. Because that's a controversy because everyone in Odessa speaks Russian. I know. So it's only through experience. I did my first series with Russian subs, and I wanted to hit a Russian audience too. But look, this, this country is – language is important with identity, and it's super confusing, and there's no way we're going to be able to explain it. Or I don't even fully understand it, to be honest. But there is a big push towards Ukrainian. Even though on the streets of Kyiv, more people will speak, be speaking Russian. In Kharkiv, the second city, it's Russian speaking mostly. But they're trying to push Ukrainian. And so check this out. Short story. I was doing an edit. Had this editor. I'm like, let's do Russian subs. He's like, yeah, I want to hit a wider audience. And then at the last minute, he said, you know what? You should do Ukraine. You should really shouldn't do Russian subs. You should do Ukrainian. I'm like, okay. And then he's speaking to his girlfriend in Russian. And I'm like, I'm like, Vlad, you speak Ukrainian too? He's like, yeah, yeah, perfectly. I'm like, so why you guys speak in Russian together? Oh, that's just what we do. (laughs) So there's, it's a complex topic because you can't just switch your native language. Some people grow up here as Russian, their native language, and some people grow up as Ukrainian. But there's there's a movement, I get it, because politically, Russia, the Russian government has used the context of we need to save Russian speakers as a pretext towards taking action. And so the more Ukraine separates itself linguistically, it's a little, I think the thought process is a bit of a buffer, but it's, again, it's super complicated. I'm no expert on it. It's been a little bit of a nightmare though with the subtitles. I can can imagine. I I think a a kind of an easy way to kind of think about it for a lot of people is when I'm in Kiev, even though everybody speaks Russian, like. Like, all you hear is Russian. Like, you're never yeah. going to walk around and hear people speaking Ukrainian. A little bit, yeah. All right. Um, but when I'm, like, in a shop and instead of saying thank you, I say, Diakuyu. Yeah. They are so happy. Yeah. They light up. They're excited. They're happy. If I say spasiba, neutral reaction. Yeah. Exactly. But when I'm in Odessa and I say, Diakuyu. They just look at me like, why, why, why are you saying that? Yeah. Like, just say spasiba. <laughs> yeah. And that's the difference. <laughs> yeah, it's a complex place. That's what makes it interesting. It's a little bit of a mystery. I haven't totally figured this place out yet. I don't think I ever will, which keeps me interested. Yeah. And if you take Lviv, for example, five countries. It's been under the five flags in the last hundred years, that one city. That's what makes it such an awesome city. I love Lviv. Yeah. It's dope. It's amazing. I think that's the one... I was thinking if I can take my parents or like my best friend, my cousin or something, yeah, anywhere in the world, where would I take them? Like where would I want to show them and be like, look at this amazing city. Let me show you around. Let me take you to the restaurants. Let me take you to my favorite bars. Let me take you to my favorite like hot spots. Really? It'd be, it'd be Lviv. Wow. Well, and I've been to so many Ukrainians love you then for that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's the place I won't take them because it's so hard to get to. I like I try to get my cousin to fly out here, and he's like, "How do I get there from San Francisco?" And I'm like, "Oh fuck, Frankfurt or JFK." There's yeah. you can go direct. It's getting better. Like in the two two and a half years I lived here, there are a lot more flights. 
Like, there's even a flight to Naples, Italy right now, which my girlfriend and I went to is an hour and a half away. Cheap, easy to get to. That's why I love it here, because if you look at a map in San Francisco and you go within, a say, a three-hour radius, where does that where does that get you to? You can't even get to Mexico City, I don't think, which is like the first big cosmopolitan destination. I don't count Vancouver, because as much as I love Canada, it's nice. It's not that much different. Yeah. You're culturally not going to be put in a different box. So... You get on a look at a map here, three hours from here, you're like, holy shit, look at my options. I can be in Istanbul. To, in my opinion, it's one of my favorite, like one of the best world cities. I love that place. And now I live right next to it. It's amazing. I think what I like about like Ukraine geographically is it, it opens up you know, both to like Western Europe. Yeah. But also Central Asia. Yeah. <laughs> like what super Eastern Europe. Like places that most people either have never heard of or never dreamed about going to. Exactly. Like, you can be in Yerevan, Armenia, or Tbilisi, like you want to go to. Like, that's all right there. It's super close. I'm going to Almaty, Kazakhstan. It's a quick, direct flight. On Saturday, two days from now, I'm meeting buddy Sam in uh-huh. Lithuania. Cool. And then I'm coming back here for a month, and then from here, I'm flying to Georgia. And both flights are less than 100 bucks. Yeah. And it's amazing. Like, if I can, if I can live here year-round... Not worry about the visa, and maybe I'll talk to your guy. <laughs> There's a way, and that's what's great. There's yeah. always a way here. Yeah, it's that's true, and I don't know. And you know what? And I, I don't think I would buy a condo in Thailand, but I would consider buying one here. Yeah, yeah. I think I would buy. I would. I think financially, even though every Ukrainian I'll ever talk to will probably think I'm insane for wanting to put money into mm-hmm. a Ukrainian bank account or buy buy property in Ukraine. I think I think it's going to go up. I think so for sure. And the interesting thing when you buy a property here is you're actually going to show up in a briefcase with a briefcase in cash. That's how they do it. Like it's right out of the yeah. movies. Like you don't like it's not a wire routine banks. It's show up with the cash. Yeah. Which is yeah, every I mean there's a whole shadow economy here that's yeah. massive. But yeah, I think real estate rate I I looked when I first moved here. And it's pretty damn cheap, especially compared to what it was. Um, here, it all depends on the geopolitics with Russia. That's basically the place is, is going on the up right now. In the center of Kiev is not the rest of the country, just like San Francisco and New York is not America. But in the center here, there's a lot of new stuff, like where we're at right now. There's a lot of stuff happening. There are a lot of smart people here. There's a lot of tech here. There are a lot of coders here. I've worked with uh, development teams a long time ago in India, and I've also worked developers here. It's a different reality through my experience. I've heard that Ukrainian developers are the best in the world. And, you know, I, I guess that can be argued, right? But sure. they're at least one of the best in the world. And English level is getting better and better. Tech wise, they're great. Like, just the culture. They're. And the incentive-wise, they have so much incentive to be good at IT. Oh, yeah. Well, you can make, like, a, a say, a junior-level developer here. I think they make, like, uh, two to 3000 a month, right? Two to 3000 a month, and you're living a good life here. That's the crazy – you can raise a family on that. Especially when a doctor is making 600 a month. Yeah. So you – I mean – People can live a good life here if they if they're making what would be a very low amount at home. Yeah, and so 
there's a lot of opportunity here. I have a friend from San Francisco who has a business here. They do um, business class airline tickets, mm-hmm. and his whole staff is here. And he was struggling in San Francisco. Um, what, what's the site? Businessclassconsolidators.com. Okay. You know, I've been looking for a good like business class like booking site, and I've tried so many ones. I've tried like I would fly first class and whatever all like all the competitors probably i never heard of these guys yet and they all suck well i so, think they're pretty good it was actually two of my friends that were partners unfortunately they okay. split up and like it was like a divorce unfortunately um which can happen i think with a lot of friendships in business but the company itself is from my understanding booming right now and it's only because they could leverage currencies with labor yeah and so. if you can make dollars and spend in grievna which is the currency here. That's the key to like all this stuff. So I make dollars and I live here. And so I save so much money by not living in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that I'm not there saves a ton of money. And to us, that makes so much sense. And I think to every single person listening to this, it makes so much sense. We can just literally say like, why would I pay $4,000 a month for rent in San Francisco when I could pay $600 for the equivalent place here. Yeah. Or 1000 and live a really good life. Yeah. I, I pay 1100 for my place and it's great. Yeah. You know, and like, what can you get for $1,100 in San Francisco? Nothing. You get like a little bunk with a, you know, in a, in a group room, like yeah. a dorm room. And then you got to add up all the things. So for example, my health insurance. I have this health, I don't know what health insurance plan you have. I don't want to bore everyone with health insurance, but... <laughs> go ahead. Okay, I pay 800 bucks a year. It works globally. Wow. I can go to Stanford. Yeah. I can go to wherever in the U.S. And who's, the, that, who's that through? It's IMG. Okay. I-N-G or I-M? I believe it's IMG. Okay. Um, what's, what's health insurance at home now? Five, 600 bucks a month? And then you have a $10,000 deductible and you can only go in certain places. It's insanity. So just, okay, no, it's, yeah, IMG. So the thing is, the reason it's so cheap is because... Emergency room visits are really what what I was told drive up the costs mm-hmm. a lot, and just by the fact that you're out of the country for over six months, they look at you as less of a liability That's to smart. do that. Yeah. And so, eight hundred bucks a year, I have a way better plan than if I lived in the states. I don't own a car for the first time in my life. Forty one, I had a car when I was fifteen before I even got my license. <laughs> I was just waiting for that day, and for the first time, I don't have a car, and I don't want one here because the city's very walkable. Uber works well, and when I get out, I get in a plane. Mm-hmm. So it's like things have simplified, gotten way cheaper, way happier. Yeah. And I, I try to explain this to, to local Ukrainians when I meet them. They ask, what, like, they're like, oh, you're from California. Why are you here? And I try, I've tried explaining it in so many different ways. Uh, you'll never win. You're, you'll only, you're guilty until proven innocent, like you're only here for chicks. That will be the, that's the common narrative. You're only here for chicks. Big plus here. Yeah. For sure. I have a Ukrainian girlfriend. She's awesome. We have a great relationship. Pumped on it, right? Beautiful girls all over the place. Yes. But they can't understand like that's one aspect of it. There's a million, there's, there's like a package of 10 things that go into living in a place. I think like, at least for me, like I want, I want all the things we talked about also here. And so many people here think America is, you're going to go to America, walk down Hollywood Boulevard and hang out with Brad Pitt. Seriously. Like half the people think that like, it's almost that extreme. Like (laughs) it's just like, everything is just like the movies. What, they don't understand is 
the work culture there. And it's, it's, you want to live in one of these big cities and work at a high level job, you're working your ass off. And they have a, in general, I'm speaking in generalities, obviously, they have a better balanced life here. They have more time off. They have more holidays. They travel more. They spend more time with their friends and families. The U.S. is about specialists. It's about people that are very good at what they do. And so there's a guy in the U.S. We're looking at tables. I'm looking at a table. He probably makes knows tables better than anyone on the planet, right? And it's a very competitive landscape. And so to be the top game there and to be one of those big cities... I think, I mean, there's some people that have figured it out otherwise, but you can only really be crushing it on the work front. And again, I'm oversimplifying it and generalizing things to some degree, but my feel overall is there's less of that here. There are more polymaths here. There are more people that have a wider range of knowledge in general. Like when I first got here, I was surprised. I was at a party, so I'm talking to some 20-something. It's like 24. We're talking about the FARC in Colombia. Then we are talking about coding, which I know very little about. And then we were talking about art. Then we were talking about construction, like uh, design and, and um, uh, postmodernism stuff. And then we're all over the place. Yeah. And that Soviet education here, the young people don't have it, but it's still like living off the fumes of it from their parents or whatever. There's a high, there's a high educated population here. And so you go to the countryside. And they'll know their Tolstoy and their Pushkin and they'll know their literature and ballet and they're not, they don't even have a bathroom in the house. Mm-hmm. And so poverty doesn't mean uneducated like it typically does in, in the West. Okay, it, that's, again, being a little extreme on putting everyone into a category, but you know how it is at home. Usually the person um, sleeping on the park bench isn't going to tell you about, talk to you about literature. Well, even the person living in a you know, two-bedroom apartment living on welfare that you know they may know every single thing in the world about Jerry Springer, Paris Hilton and you know Kim yeah. Kardashian. They might know what like and I think that's one thing I, I really don't like about the US is the cultural reward system. Where yeah, yeah. People are rewarded for knowing stupid pop culture, even like sports stuff. Yeah. You know, that doesn't really help anyone in the world. Yeah. But the fact that for example, you know I guess, like, people are rewarded for being stupid back home, you know, and, like, or, you know, looking, like, being part of pop, pop culture. Right. You know, like, acting acting like Kim Kardashian or acting like Paris Hilton right. will get you a lot of brownie points in, in L.A. or California or the U.S., but acting stupid here does not give you brownie points. No. Being smart does. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you, for sure. I will say the wealthier, what I think... America definitely has a big upper hand on is the collaboration of knowledge and money. Mm-hmm. So when people do well in the U.S., usually they want to share their knowledge and usually they're also interested in investing in others. Mm-hmm. And here is this old school, like the 90s were very hard after the Soviet Union fell. It was also, it was like the thieves won in mm-hmm. like whatever industry people could get their hands on, they would and it was a tough game and it was very dangerous here. And so there's still that mentality though, if you have money, like most wealthy people, not everyone, but the vast majority, it's like this hoard all, take all mentality, burn up everything around you. Mm-hmm. And so to get investment in tech here, not the place. People want the quick hit of money because you don't know what tomorrow brings here. Mm-hmm. And it's always been that way. Even in the name of Ukraine, it's borderland, it's between. 
Like it's always like there's always been an invading army, pretty much. So the whole mentality, I think, somewhat baked in the DNA is like you you get when you can, but you're not going to plan out ten years. Yeah. And the U.S. has had this amazing stability where it can say, look, in ten years I want to be in this place, or I'm going to wait on this company for ten years, and then that's going to be the unicorn, and I'm cool with it. So it works with money and information. So here, not so good on that front. At all. And it's hard because right now the old generation has a really hard time with a two thousand grievna a month pension. Yeah, like so bad. What what is that? Eighty bucks or something? Yeah, right? and it's and they can't live off of it. It's really bad. Yeah. And then I'll speak to young people about what are you gonna do about like your future retirement? Are you gonna rely on the government pension? Are you saving up? Are you gonna invest? Are you putting money in the saving, like in the bank accounts that pay eighteen percent interest, which is unheard of <laughs> right. in the U.S. And everyone's like, "I'm not thinking that far because yeah, it's it's you know, our, like they don't trust the banks, they don't trust the people, they don't trust the future." But the problem is, if they never trust anything, if history is just going to repeat itself again, it's a low trust culture. Yeah, and I find okay. Low trust in that sense, high trust if we have a good relationship as friends or something. Like the trust is very high. But low trust with institutions, with I wouldn't trust these banks. I like Privat Bank, the main bank here was was uh had to be nationalized. The oligarch that run it was just stealing money, like just stealing and so that's sort of like that's what I mean about filters. There are definitely some filters to this place. Like, they're easier places to be, for sure. But Ukraine, that's what I like about it. It, me too. That's what I, like, I like about it. It's not a, easy. It's not easy to be here. There's, a, there's <laughs> like an adventure. A, there's adventure in it. There's the unknown in it. And pe- because of that, people live for the day more. Yeah. I, I'm still, my, I'm still obviously American and I have this American mindset and I'm planning and I'm, I'm working a lot and I'm not super social these days, to be honest. But I do admire this culture in the sense that people will live for the day because, look, we are all about as a cultural in general is like, okay, if I only do this and do this and then this other day down the road, I'll be getting this reward or whatever. And there's some good to that. There's Mm -hmm. some like you can actually like set a trajectory, but there is something cool being in a culture where it's like they're in the moment. And I think happiness comes through being in moment which isn't the easiest thing to do i definitely agree well i'm glad that you're happy here i'm happy here and i'm glad we're sharing this with everyone listening back home uh if you guys haven't checked out peter's channel go on youtube look up his name peter santiello sounds so italian santanella (laughs) Santanella, yeah and we'll have links to it in the show notes this is travel like a boss podcast episode 225 and yeah, I guess to kind of sum it up, like Ukraine is it's not dangerous mostly. It's, it's definitely not as dangerous as Chicago, Chirac. <laughs> <laughs> if you come to Kiev to Kharkiv, Odessa, you, you you'll you'll be fine. Don't, don't stress it. about it. Yes, there are beautiful women here, and yes, that's a big cherry on top and and a bonus of being here. But that's literally ten percent of the reason why you should come here. There's so many amazing things, and honestly, there's plenty of beautiful women in the rest of Europe. Like we could easily be. Yeah, there. I don't think Belarus is any different, yeah. or Russia is any different in that respect, or Venezuela, or Latvia, or, or Estonia, right or now, yeah. 
Or yeah, we're Colombia. I mean, there's people from everywhere, and I think it's nice. I like walking around, and every like three seconds, not three, three minutes, like I'm like, wow, she is beautiful. Yeah, you know, and it's a nice feeling. It's a it's nice for our testosterone. There's a lot of eye contact here too. People really yeah. look in your eyes yeah. on the streets, even, which is interesting. Yeah, and it's like you know, and if you, and it's like it's like being. Back in the 1950s, in terms of like dating, like if you see someone that yep. y- you're attracted to, you can say, "Hi, I'm attracted to you. Can I take you on a date?" Yeah. And she will either say yes or no. There's no maybes. There's no insults. There's no like, even if she's gonna reject you. She's not gonna like. In the U.S., like it's it's it sucks because it's it's all about ego in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Where, like, they might shoot you down, make you feel bad. <laughs> They might laugh at you. <laughs> they might like, you know, like it might like, you know, it might just be a big thing here. They're just like, oh, no, thank you. And you're like, oh, thank you. Okay, goodbye. The, I, I think in general you get respect for, for, for asking what you want. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. It's, it's a nice country. Like it's, it's a nice culture. I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for all the Ukrainian people I've met, both the guys and the, and, and the girls. Like, and Ukraine is not Russia. Yes, the cultures have a lot of common ground, yeah. but they're two different countries back home. I'm conscious, because it was part of the Soviet Union, right? Yeah. So people always say, oh, Russia. No, no, Ukraine is a different sovereign country. Yeah. And it's a different vibe, too. Yeah, I can see that. And it's much easier for us to come here because we don't need, we don't need visas. Yeah, it's, like a, it's like a renaissance right now. Yeah. It's an opening, for sure. But it's not for everyone, as, as you no, said. No, not at all. So if this was exciting for you, uh, come check it out. I mean, I'd probably recommend coming in the summer first. <laughs> but yeah, winter's a bit tough. Come check it out. Read one of my, my blog posts about the country and watch one of the videos on johnnyfd.com or watch some of Peter's videos on YouTube to get a, get a good look at the culture, the people, you know, what, what the city looks like, what the country looks like, what the food looks like. And if you want to know uh, more about... Peter's other journeys. I think the, those the, those series are really cool. Excited to watch the Iran one, even though I don't think I'll be going there anytime <laughs> soon. But it'd be cool to see that. Uh, I'm excited to go to Georgia. I'm excited to, yeah, it's it's, it's an exciting life. We're, we're we're fortunate. Yeah, we're we're super fortunate. Yeah, and do it while I, you can. I know we're lucky. I know we're fortunate. I, I know we're not like if I was born in Ukraine and I didn't speak English and I was making hundred fifty dollars a month. Life would not be easy. No. It would not be a, a great life. But I would much rather be earning four thousand dollars a month, live you know, like living here mm-hmm. while while working online, than living making four thousand dollars a month living in California. That's equivalent to like making two hundred fifty thousand in California after the tax man. Yeah, seriously. Really like for the quality of life you yeah. get. So Thank you, Johnny. Peter, Peter thanks, thanks so much. much. Um, great meeting you, and I'll see all you guys. Hopefully somewhere in the world. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.